So in our next segment, I have a very interesting person that I get to spend some time with. Sarah Jones, how are you? I'm good, Walt. How are you? Good. And why I'm thrilled that you are on the show and why we get to chat is because you have quite an interesting take on what's been going on with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. A lot of people are just too busy or confused and they don't know how to connect the dots. And I myself am one of them. So even personally, this is something... Uh, good for me to experience because everyone is trying to connect the dots and some people don't even know which dots to connect and there are mixed messages and you know this as well as as I that there are a lot of people who feel very differently about what is going on and where should we go from here Mm -hmm. and so I am very intrigued by your background uh, your social circle of uh, professionals and as well as the message you have to our listeners, the majority from Long Beach. You're also a resident in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And born so, and raised. Born and raised, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell by that that tattoo you have in your gum line of LBC. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your background and who you are. Okay. Um, like you said, or I said, actually born and raised here in Long Beach. Um, my father was one of the founders of the Long Beach Grand Prix. Um, so my mother was a teacher here. My dad owns Nate Jones Tire Company. So we're really rooted here, um, in a very long-term, uh, way. My dad was also born and raised here. Um, but in terms of my professional background, so I have a bachelor's in English, um, British lit was my focus, but then I did my master's in international relations and I focused on women's and girls health and rights. And that's really what informs my perspective, um, on the COVID-19 situation. So I, when I was doing my master's degree, I traveled all over the world. Um, I focused specifically on Senegal, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia um, for my thesis, looking at the effects of U.S. foreign policy, actually, on women and girls in developing countries. And, and then I also worked in Hyderabad, India, with the untouchable women, um, looking at things that were impacting their health and wellness, including um, sterilization as a form of family planning, looking at domestic violence in the slums, looking at microcredit and other solutions that would help lift these women um, out of poverty. And, and then I've also worked on issues like female genital mutilation in Africa and gender-based violence in, in other aspects of society. Um, I've looked at education, disparity, gender. Um, and then from 2012 to 2014, I actually worked for a U.S. nonprofit organization, but I was based in France, and I was managing women's health and maternal health, like mothers, concerning mothers in French-speaking Africa. So I managed programs in Burundi, which is um, neighboring Rwanda, and Niger, which is in uh, West Africa, and then also Burkina Faso, which is French-speaking West Africa as well. So you're smart, (laughs) you've traveled, and you've uh, experienced other pandemics in the past. I have. Uh, When I was living in Senegal, there was actually a cholera outbreak. And when I was just recently in Bangladesh for a project, um, I've been working as a consultant for another U.S. organization, nonprofit organization, on a project with the World Health Organization, looking at uh, access to reproductive health supplies, medicines, and services. And so for that project, I was in four countries. I was in Rwanda, South Africa, Malawi, and then Bangladesh in January. And there was a rotavirus outbreak in Bangladesh when I was there. 
Wow. It was more in the eastern area, but, um, you know, we still have all these security protocols and whatnot that we have to, you know, put in place to make sure. Because as we can see with this, like, things can move really quickly, so we have to be on top of it. Were you a bit scared? Worried? No. Uh, the thing is that for these projects, we use security teams. We have private security teams. And that's actually one of the things that informed my perspective on this situation was that I was in such close contact with my security team before I was going into Bangladesh. And then this was all happening while I was there. I left on December 31st and arrived in Bangladesh on January 2nd. And then I flew back on January 8th. So I, while I was in Bangladesh, this was all evolving in China. And so I was in regular contact with my security team. And then after I got back, we were still in touch because since I'd been traveling and I had flown, flown through Dubai, I was in all of these different airports and in contact with people. So gotcha. I was, um, wasn't concerned necessarily about being exposed to it per se, but we were just kind of, you know, monitoring the situation as it was evolving. Okay. So in your opinion, what's going on? What is going on here in the United States with coronavirus? Politics. Okay. Politics and the media. Um, again, like I said, the, the thing that, that informed my perspective, one of the things was, the, was a message from my security team um, at the end of January saying, you know, that they just were shocked that the U.S. hadn't shut down, you know, restricted travel from, to and from China. Um, until that day, I think it was like January, end of January, like within the last few days. And they said they should have done this two weeks ago. And so there, to me, when I, I knew that piece of information, it was like, what is going on here? You know, why, why isn't there any kind of a reaction response? And, you know, people will say, well, you know, Trump thought it was a hoax and whatnot. But our governors still have the opportunity to act on behalf of their states. And they didn't. And um, I think a lot of people forget that we had the Kobe Bryant ceremony, you know, after, locally here, in locally California. here in California. California. Exactly. Um, after we knew about, well, after we knew about this epidemic and at the time it was still mostly in China, it had bled into the U S at that point, but we knew how quickly this thing spread. And so there was zero action, um, in the state of California to stop the Kobe Bryant memorial service. Again, we had the Oscars and the golden globes in LA. There was absolutely no action. And we know that for these types of events that people are flying in from all over the world. So it was incredibly confusing to me as somebody who knew, like, there's no way that that the governors of the United States of California had less information than I did. You know, my security team could not have had more info than they did. So why didn't they act on anything? Yeah. That's still a question that I have was what what caused that that lag? Right. Um, there was nothing going on behind the scenes. I have friends who are working in hospitals locally up in San Francisco in the Bay Area, all over the country, and there was just no action. There was no preparation. For someone who might say, you know, uh, the mayor tends to follow, the mayor of Long Beach tends to follow the mayor of Los Angeles's lead, and it kind of goes up the chain, might hear states on the West Coast, might they be, were they looking to just follow the East Coast lead and nothing had happened in the East Coast yet, or... My problem with that is that, again, it just shows that our our politicians are not taking leadership roles. And they're, and in terms of like what I think is going on with the Democrats is a really reactionary response to what the Republicans, the um, it was a reactionary response to what the Republicans were doing. Rather than looking at things from a strategic place, it was like, well, the Republicans are doing this. We're going to do the opposite. And like you said, like the mayor of Long Beach is looking to the mayor of L.A., who's looking to the governor of California. And and to me, it just we went from no action to just this completely like pendulum swinging, you know, lockdown. Um, 
And I think a lot of people believe that this is something that's recommended by the World Health Organization, and in fact, it's, it's not. Um, if you go to their website, they have so much good information on how to handle um, COVID-19 in terms of like what each individual should be doing and then what businesses should be doing and then they even have advice for governments and they specifically say that the lockdowns should be avoided because of the enormous consequences um, to so many different aspects of society that it should really only be used as if they cannot, if the if the spread cannot be controlled in any other manner, that's when you lock down. And that's why we see the WHO is really celebrating Sweden right now. Um, a lot of people were putting Sweden down, saying, you know, they're they're risking their people's lives and they're not taking this seriously. And I think that people don't understand that conscious planning and looking at things in not just a short-term perspective, but the medium and long-term as well, is where we're going to see successful results in this, with regard to this pandemic. And that is why WHO is celebrating and really lauding um, Sweden right now is because they really looked at all aspects of how this is going to play out. And they did take precautions. They didn't, they didn't disregard it. They didn't, not everything was open and, and they were really focusing on the things that WHO actually suggested, um, which was in terms of the personal responsibility, which is hand washing, like, you know, really focusing on hand washing and respiratory etiquette is what they call it, where you're, you know, covering your nose and mouth with the crook of your elbow or best case is using a tissue and then discarding that tissue into a closed bin. And, and what we're seeing, I mean, they don't support the use of masks in the general public, and they have not changed their stance on that. And, um, and so we have all the, you know, they, they took a more practical approach. And, on their, and, and what we're seeing with Sweden is that they followed that, that guidance of you should look at it from a country-specific context, like how does this really look in your country, and then make the do the cost-benefit analysis. And not just in terms of the economic, like people are you know, saying, well, this is not just about the economy, but the economy has direct effects for people's health and well-being too. We have to remember that this is not just a health issue, there's mind, body, and spirit that you know, encompasses all of us human beings. Right. And I think that what we're seeing with Sweden is that they took that approach. They looked at all three of those things and they looked at where do we need to really put in um, protocols that will protect the most fragile in the population and how do we let, you know, reduce the risk and mitigate the risk in other areas, but not try to, you know, totally lock everything down because the consequences of that could be more drastic, not only in terms of like the second wave, what pe which people are talking about, but just in, in terms of the immediate um, ramifications. And so, um, but what we see here in the U.S. is that it was just a not do anything and then almost like a rush to do everything. Um, again, Republicans like, no, this is a hoax and we don't need to do this. Um, my body, my choice, you know, they, they, they took on that. Um, uh, phrase of, you know, ter in terms of like, you know, sovereignty, human sovereignty. And, um, but then the Democrats, their propaganda was stay home, save lives. And to me, those things are equal in terms of like the propaganda nature of that, because stay home, save lives is like, whose life, whose life are you saving? We really have to take a complete and comprehensive approach and looking at whose life are you saving? And is it necessary to do this particular action in order to save the majority of the lives? And another great example that I like is Malawi. So that's a teeny tiny little country in East Africa 
one of the poorest countries in the world. And they did this cost benefit analysis and decided that um, a medium term, like a medium grade lockdown was not in the best interest of their country. They looked at all different aspects. And I read the report and it was, it was just fascinating to look at how they came to this conclusion that this was not in their best interest. So, I mean, they had a different approach than Sweden, but they, they both, what they did was look at what was best for their particular country, for their particular context. And then they made um, really good decisions for the short, medium, and long term. And what I see here in the U.S., in particular in California, is just this drastic move to lock everybody down as if that shows that you're taking it seriously. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking it seriously. It mean, To me, it looks more like a reactionary response to what the Republicans were doing. And to me, it very much looks like politically motivated, like as we're in an election year, um, let's show that we take this seriously, that we are the ones that are saving people's lives. That's what I think that slogan, stay home, save lives, that they're gonna use that as, um, you know, when they're when Biden is going around and, you know, on the platforms and saying, you know, like, we took this seriously, we saved lives. And, but I think you can make an argument now that, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case, especially since we're, we have the statistics that show that despite the lockdown, the cases went up and then they went down, which was their normal course. You know, like they, um, this scientist, one of the first ever um, people in the world to study coronaviruses, um, it's this doctor out of UC San Diego, James Robb. He was one of the first molecular virologists in the world to work on coronaviruses starting in the 70s. And he sent out an email to all his friends and family. My dad happened to be included in that list, and so I saw the email. And he said, you know, this is when, it's, this is when it should spike. Like, this is what it's going to look like. This is when it approximately it should spike. And we saw that spike happen when we expected it. And if you look at the, the reports from the CDC, um, you see, and, and you can look specifically state by state, you can see that that despite the lockdowns, like we went into lockdown and then everything spiked, you know, anyways, like the, it wasn't, we didn't slow, we didn't stop the spread of the virus. You know, it took its natural course. We just happened to be locked down. Gotcha. That's how it, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, if you look at the graphs and the charts yeah. and the numbers, like, um, yeah. and, and, and there are scientists that, that you know, are, are talking about this, like, um, and, and different doctors that will, that can explain it better than I can, um, yeah. like Dr. Zach Bush. Um, well, now you mentioned well, you mentioned the ideologies of both both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, in your opinion, they haven't exactly hit the bullseye with what's going on. Do you think the coronavirus has divided us or united us more? I would say, without a doubt, that it has divided us more. Um, I have friends from childhood that are not even speaking to me anymore because I. Since I turned 18, I have always voted Democrat, and and yet this situation just, I, my perspective on this is not in alignment with the Democrat perspective, and I have been vocal about my concerns. I have a lot of concerns about how things are going. I have a lot of questions about how things are going, like why are governors making certain decisions that they're making, especially in California? Um, why are the mayors making certain decisions? And, and But the response from friends has been really surprising to me. And I, I have, like, I am not in communication with a lot of these people because I am no longer, you know, following the party line. 
And and when I say something that seems to be in alignment with the Republicans, all of my friends that are Republicans are like, yay, good for you. And I've never, ever had a situation where I've been right in the middle. And and I see the pull between where they're not even hanging out with each other anymore. These groups yeah. of people are wow. like literally not even spending time with each other. And I'm just kind of stuck in the middle now. And it actually motivated, motivated me to change my voter registration status to independent because I realized that it's, I feel more comfortable in that space of looking at, well, what are they actually saying? Rather than just not paying attention to what something that is coming from a Republican's mouth and just, that's not really what I want to say. Um, sometimes I would discredit what somebody was saying based on their political affiliation. So before I even heard what they were saying, if I knew it was coming from a Republican, I would discredit what they were saying. My mind was already working, you know, how to discredit them. And like in the reverse, when it was coming from a Democrat, I was sort of already in alignment with what they were saying. And now I find myself in this unique position where I'm I'm no longer believing what the Democrats are saying just because they're Democrat. And I'm no longer not believing Republicans just because they're Republican. And it's a really special <laughs> but kind of confusing place to be because I find myself just questioning everything. Right. Now, and I feel that's normal. I feel a lot of people feel that way. And it, you know, it it doesn't mean you feel any more or less about the Republican side or it, it, it does about the Democratic side in, in terms of ideology. But this particular issue is very unique. It, um, it seems like it, it wasn't handled the best and no one necessarily knows the right direction to take. Now... Who do you think is winning from all this madness? Is it Republicans, Democrat, big industries like uh, uh, pharmacy? Who, who's winning from all this? And, and is that on accident? So this is how I think about it. I think that the media is definitely running the show. And I would look at them. I look at them as sort of the if you look at an abusive relationship, the abuser is the media. Are you, are you talking big media or media mainstream along, along the, along the mainstream media? I'm yeah. talking mainstream media. Um, so mainstream media is like the abusive partner. The politicians are like the abused partner in this scenario. And us as people are the children caught in the middle. So the media has been running this show since the very beginning. They got hold of it way before the politicians had even a moment to respond. And that's one of the, the, the problems with you know, high speed internet and, and the media culture in which we live with social media, et cetera, was that things were coming out of China. And instead of being on top of it, we did not have a responsive government. And so the media was able to run with all of these stories. And, the, and then we've, our politicians found themselves in a position of having to catch up, like, please the abuser, you know, like, well, if I do this, will they be happy? If I do this, are Got they going to be happy? Wow, so what, you, a, what a good perspective. And then, and it's, but we're constantly in that mode. And again, us as citizens, we are caught in the middle. We are the children in this scenario. And I would say that our medical workers are like the stepchildren, <laughs> you know, like the, I mean, and I mean this in, you know, sort of a Cinderella situation where um, just, I mean, the most abused in this scenario, you know, just, I, I mean, what they have been put through is so horrific to me because you imagine no leadership no leadership and just total fear, not knowing how is this being, um, how are we going to get this? How are we going to protect ourselves from this? Not having adequate supplies, not having adequate testing, not having adequate training. 
you know, our medical staff were not prepared for this in any way, shape, or form. Our facilities were not prepared for this. And yet we had our government, like the abused partner, like trying to show the media, look at how I'm handling this. And like, again, the Republicans were trying to, you know, respond to their their mainstream media and show like, oh, we're on the Republican stream, you know, stream here. And then the, the on the Democrat side, like trying to please their the Democrat mainstream media. And look at how we're handling it. See here, we, we're doing this and we're doing this. I mean, and if you go on the, the California public health page that Gavin Newsom set up, like, he, you know, he's trying to show like, look at what we've done. You know, look, we did this, 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 this at the bottom of the page. He like lists all of his accomplishments. Like, do you see? Do you see how good I am? Like, I'm doing all of this. Yeah. And it and it's and it's really frustrating because, you know, I'm like, but you need to stand up and realize that you are not beholden to your abuser. Who you are, who you need to stand up for is your children. You know, and and as a mother, it's like you and you know and and, and I have. You know, I, I work with people in the, uh, you know, who are going through these situations and in the most extreme situations. I do not take this lightly at all when I'm using this as an example. Um, but we, there's a point where you say enough, enough. You are not the person that I answer to. I answer to these are the people that I need to protect. And that is where I feel like our politicians have lost their path. They have lost their way because they are trying to please the media who is the abuser, who is never going to be pleased ever. They're never, you know, and as more science is coming out is, you know, USC did their study and Stanford did their study and, you know, um, University of, uh, or Trinity College in Ireland released their study on vitamin D and the links to COVID. And, you know, there's going to be so much more data that comes out and, and, and the science is not going to support these extreme lockdowns. It is not. And I mean, and we, again, we have the example of WHO in Sweden right now. And so where are the politicians going to find themselves? They're going to find themselves on the flip side because all of a sudden the media is going to be like, they're going to turn on them because that's what an abuser does. And so they're going to turn on them. And then we're going to have the politicians trying to, but, but I did this because of this and not taking any really responsibility for their yeah. choices, for their decisions, for their actions. You know, I've been saying this uh, for the last couple of months now. Mom and dad are fighting while Johnny's getting burned with hot water in the, in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. And that's how I feel about this whole situation. Yeah. Where Johnny is, you know, the people, everyday, everyday person and mom and dad are, are, are government. Mm -hmm. I also feel personally bad because I feel Johnny always gets in trouble and all these metaphors. It's mm -hmm. always Johnny. I should have picked a different name, but <laughs> <laughs> Johnny's only a lad. Johnny gets in trouble in school and now Johnny's getting burned with hot water. Well, don't feel too bad because it's usually the redheaded stepchild. Uh, right. <laughs> like, and I, you know, I, I'm not a stepchild, but I mean, redheading in red, Southern California, yeah, yeah. you know, has not always been in my favor. So. Well, before we run out of time, um, first of all, thank you for spending the time with me and, and having this chat. This is way informative. What is the message you have to residents of Long Beach? I think to keep asking questions, it, there's, this is not a time for complacency. And we, each individual, we have the power. This is our, you know, they work for us. Our politicians work for us. And we have got to flip the model so that that is where, that is how we function as a society is that our politicians, they actually become leaders for us because this is not leadership that I am seeing. This is, this is reactionary, 
you know, pe like media pleasing behavior. This is not leadership. And so I think as Long Beach citizens, first and foremost, we need to hold our politicians and the people that we elected accountable for their decisions. We need to start seeing these cost benefit analysis that they did for our city to determine did they make this decision for us or did they make it to please the mayor of LA, to please the governor of California or Joe Biden? Because I really, you know, I mean, it's like, who's running the Democratic show here? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, but who, we have got to take responsibility also for this divisiveness and understand that the change is with us. We are the ones that need to come together. We need to, we need to mend and heal and as a society before we can expect that from our leaders. They will change in turn. We have to be the change first and then they will in turn yeah. change as we start demanding more of them. That, uh, that river is flowing hard and mm -hmm. we have to make sure that river goes the other way. Yeah. We really do. And I mean, and that, you know, that that starts with these elections in 2020. And it's not just, OK, this is the Democratic candidate, so I'm going to vote for them. Like we need to push. We need to push these people really, really hard and make them accountable for the decisions. Like, yeah. I mean, this has affected the entire world. But if we look just specifically at our country, at our state, at our city, the implications are, I mean, they are bigger than any one of us can comprehend because these are going to have consequences for generations. Right. I mean, people have lost their entire livelihoods. It's not, I mean, and that is going to have health implications. It, people are losing their lives because of this that are not COVID-19 related. They're indirectly related to this. And so we need to really hold our, our government accountable for their decisions. And then at the same time, we need to, I mean, the thing that I would want people to know also is that from a health perspective, like, your neighbor is your friend because it's because of us sharing bacteria and sharing space and sharing viruses that we're actually able to be healthy individuals, that we don't, we don't live in a healthy environment because we're isolated. We live in a healthy environment because we are mixed together. Yeah. And, and I think that this messaging has been really toxic because it's made people believe that their neighbor is going to kill them just by being exposed to them, you know, because of a smile even, you know, when I go jogging and people don't even smile anymore, like even if they don't have a mask on they're they're so afraid of smiling. And, and that's the part that we really have to heal as a community is, is to understand that, that your neighbor is not your enemy. Um, they are, they're just as much important to your health as they are to, you know, your physical health is your mental health and your emotional health. And, um, and just because we have differences and we, we disagree on, um, you know, maybe political, the political perspective or how things are being handled. Like, um, I think that we all really want what's best for ourselves and for our families. And, um, that there's a, if we come at it from a place of kindness, if we come at it of a place from also questioning, you know, like what is going on here? Because nobody knows, nobody knows, nobody really knows a hundred percent what's going on here. And so that level of sharing information, but from the perspective of, we don't really completely, we will never have the whole picture of what's going on yeah. here. Hopefully that will help us heal as a community and, and move forward, you know, together. Yeah. Sarah, now, what I do know is that people check their phones and they see a lot of statistics, whether it's locally or worldwide on coronavirus, uh, the, the effects of it, the, the numbers of fatalities. Without going into too much numbers, what kind of trends have you found? 
Um, well, I think that the thing, I mean, I've been looking at this, I, I look at the WHO website pretty much once a week. Um, they have a map, um, so you can look at the global numbers, you can look by country, and then I also look at the California Public Health webpage and the Long Beach Public Health, and plus I get uh, an email from my council person. And so I actually just run the numbers. I have little sheets of paper, like scraps of paper, where I um, write the case number down, the population, and then the death um, numbers. And what I think is really interesting is that it's really been hovering. I mean, obviously, the number of cases is going up. The number of deaths is going up. But it's also because the number of tests has gone up as well. The testing has expanded. And um, when you look at the, we had almost no test kits in the US. It was impossible to test everybody. So we'll never know. Even on the CDC website, they say, we will never know how many people actually have had this because it's impossible because of just the, the nature that it's, it's unrecognizable in about 50% of the population, but then also because of the testing um, difficulties and, and challenges with the test itself. But if you look at the numbers in terms of what they, have on the CDC website, on the WHO website, what you see is this kind of hovering around, um, like worldwide we're at, in terms of the cases, there, we have a 7.8 billion population in the world and over four, almost 4.5 million cases. So that puts us at 0. 0.0005 of the population. So not even half a percent um, of the population has been affected by this in terms of what we know in positive test right. outcomes. Um, and in terms of the U.S., it's 0 .004. So, and then in terms of California, 0 .002. And Long Beach, 0 .003. France, 0 .004. Um, and so we, we, we keep finding these same numbers no matter when you look at, like if I go back to my April 21st statistics, we're still at worldwide 0 .0002. Um, and... US 0 0.002, it's like we're still hovering around 0.2%. Like most of these numbers are between 0.1 and 0.3%. Um, we just, we're not even at half a percent of the population. Um, you know, and people will say, well, what about New York City? And, you know, New York City does have a really special situation, but they also have, you know, I mean, they have just about eight and a half million people living in um, 302 square it's, miles. It's a shoebox. It's a oh, shoebox, like yeah. Shoe I was box. looking at it, it's 13.4 miles long by 2.3 miles wide and that you have a population of 8.4 million and that's 2018 numbers I didn't even get the 2019 and still you have a 0 0.02 so you there you have 2% of the population has been affected by this in terms of you know positive tests and and but still the death rate is 0 0.002 um, and so you know, these are, it's, it's holding pretty safe. So even though you have, you know, again, 2% of New York's population has been affected by this. Um, I mean, the whole entire, you know, I, I hate actually saying it like that because everybody has been affected by this. But I mean, in terms of testing positive, we still are at a 2% rate. And that's like the highest in the world in terms of the concentration. Um, but we're still looking at a minute, it's just so tiny and it's not to disregard that people are losing their lives here not remotely but it's just to put it in perspective i mean when we look at the 2017 influenza um outbreak it was disastrous i mean that was a seven percent death rate in 2017 and that was affecting children and infants you know i mean we have i mean and it's not again to dismiss the fact that this is um, affecting older people and the majority um but we have not seen a seven percent rate anywhere in the world, not one place, not in Italy, not in France, not in China. Um, you Staggering. Know, wow. 
Yeah. And so, and then in 2017, we have a 7% death rate with influenza and we have none of these measures happening. We have no masks, no social distancing, no mandatory testing, no, you know, none of these precautions are happening when we had a 7% death rate. And this is on the CDC website. You know, these are, these are graphs and, and, and charts and facts that you can find on the CDC website. And they show this spike that happened in 2017. And I remember because I was a mother and we don't often forget this when your pediatrician is telling you, look, we're having a really, really nasty influenza outbreak, you know, and you have young children, it's very, you know, it's on your mind. And yet we still sent our children to school. We still sent our children to their sports activities. We still went to concerts and there were, you know, we had again, a 7% death rate. There were hundreds of thousands of people that died from influenza and, and yet life continued. And it's not to say that 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 is a model of healthcare that we should follow. Because what that tells us is that we have immune system imbalances. And that's the thing that I think has been totally disregarded with this outbreak and previous ones is that we're not looking at our wellness as a community. We're looking only at this specific virus. And I think that in terms of strengthening our response to future pandemics, the first thing that we need to do is strengthen the health of our population by looking at wellness and how do we get our population well and how do we strengthen our public health care system. And because these statistics, again, do not, I, I, I just, I mean, to me, this is not a reason to panic. I, when I saw the cruise ship statistics, even like I, you know, there are three, that Diamond Princess cruise ship that everybody was talking about, there were 3,711 total people on the ship, 3,618 were tested, 712 cases were positive, 14 people died. That means that you have the 14 people that died out of the total population is 0.003. Again, it, we're coming back to what we did before. And then in terms of if you look at how many people were affected of the, the those that were the 712, then you have a 1% death rate of that, that group. Right. But of the total population on the cruise ship, you're still at 0 0.003. So again, it's like this is kind of hovering everywhere we go. Um, yeah. and, and, and if we would have seen this, everybody on the cruise ship dying or 10% of the people on the cruise ship dying or 5%, I mean, and they were in isolation together. <laughs> They weren't quarantined in their rooms. They were quarantined on the ship together. So if we would have seen, if this were as deadly as what they were saying that it was, that cruise ship would have been wiped out. If this were like the influenza outbreak in 2017, that would have been disastrous. Right. And then my response would have been like, okay, this is gnarly. We need to really like, you know, there should have been some very serious actions that were put in place. And not to say that there weren't, opportunities for action. And that is what my concerns is in terms of the U.S. response is that there was nothing done to prepare. There wasn't public health system strengthening measures put in place. And there weren't um, things like in encouraging people to support their immune system by taking vitamin D and, um, and zinc and things like that that have been proven to, to help support the immune system and protect against coronaviruses. Um, and so when, it's just like when you look at the numbers and then you look at the response, it's a very confusing situation because you would have expected to see these kinds of measures put in place and a 7% death rate, not what we're seeing here. Right. Wow, Sarah, with this going on, where do you find yourself visiting here in Long Beach? Are there any go-to places you have for any particular needs? Um, well, my go-to right now, my out of just not wanting to cook <laughs> for my children three meals a day now constantly. Um, but my favorite restaurant in Long Beach is Manau, um, the Thai food restaurant on Broadway. 
Um, so, you know, I mean, I do my grocery shopping at Whole Foods, um, sometimes at Trader Joe's, um, you know, just, you know, just the local spots, but. And then back to Manow. 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 I actually, I I love, I love Seabirds as well, um, on 4th Street. Um, I'm a vegan and so they have really, really, really good vegan food. And there are a couple other places that I love, but are closed because they don't meet the regulations in terms of space. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I don't like Thai much, mm. but I go to Manau. So that says something oh. for the non-Thai fan to keep going. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's I like really Manau. good food. Yeah. It's really fresh, and um, and they're such nice people as well. It's a really beautiful um, ambiance, and yeah, you can't miss. Before we go, what are some valuable resources that one should check out, whether it's uh, websites, videos, books? In my opinion... Honestly, the first and foremost for me is the World Health Organization website. Um, They have very practical guidance. And why I look there instead of the CDC is because they have such an international panel of experts um, that to me that feels more comfortable. I feel more comfortable getting perspectives from a lot of different countries, a lot of different um, um, specialties. That feels better for me personally. Um, and they have incredibly practical guidance and guidelines, not only for individuals, but also for businesses and for governments. So you can find the updated statistics there. And then again, these measures in terms of as we're opening up, like they have guidelines on masks, they have guidelines on hand washing, they have guidelines on, um, you know, how to open your business in terms of the, the protocols that you can put in place. And I would say, though, that what you'll find is that they're almost completely opposite to what we're doing in the United States. So the U.S. has taken them to this whole other level um, that is not even recommended by WHO. Um, so there, but again, for me, that's where I feel comfortable getting my guidelines and guidance and protocols from. Um, but you can also go to the CDC website if that feels better for you to just look at what the U.S. perspective is. You can go there. Um, also, I look at the California Public Health page, but this is more in terms of getting information on statistics. So if you want to run the numbers yourself, and I really encourage people to do that, to not let the media form your opinion on what is going on because that I think is the most dangerous situation that we're in right now is that people are losing their ability to to use their intuition and what's going on and and come to conclusions for themselves because the mainstream media is forcing a narrative and I think that that's also why people feel confused is because there's so many mixed messages and if you're just running your tv all the time you're not able to just step away and go and figure things out for yourself and be like, does this make sense to me? And I think I would really encourage people to do that. So you can run the numbers on the WHO page, one, run the numbers on the CDC page, the California Public Health webpage, and then Long Beach Public Health webpage also for local statistics. In terms of my perspective on health and wellness and why I feel very empowered as a person in terms of not being fearful of even catching this, or if I do catch it, I am not concerned in the slightest for myself. That is because of my health and wellness approach. And I think that if you want to get good resources and information on that, um, Dr. Zach Bush is a great um, person to follow. He's um, a triple board certified doctor in internal medicine, endocrinology, and hospice care. And he has a he's had a beautiful history in terms of starting his career in a midwifery clinic in the Philippines and then, you know, ending with hospice care. And now he really focuses a lot on the microbiome and like the gut and our gut health and how that is, that is the majority of our immune system is in our gut. And so he's got really good information on how you can support and strengthen your immune system um, so that these viruses, you just brush them off. Like you just brush them off, like it's dust on your shoulder. 
Um, also, and there's a really good interview that Del Bigtree did with uh, with Zach Bush, on, and you can find it on YouTube. It's on the High Wire, um, so that's a great place to go. And I think that's probably. I think that that pretty much covers, you know, I really don't follow any of the mainstream media. So I just go directly to these sources. I mean, I'm getting stuff popping up on Instagram and things from people. And sometimes I'm sure it, sometimes I don't, sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not, it's really hard. Um, I know that Snopes is doing a lot of fact checking stuff, but some of this stuff you can't even really fact check because how can we fact check Gavin Newsom's response? We really have to look at lining up the things for ourselves and how does that feel for for us as an individual again rather than letting the media dictate how we feel about this sarah jones a concerned citizen of long beach (laughs) to say the least to say the least all right once again thank you for your time thank you all it was a pleasure (laughs) 